Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Worn Shoes Podcast where I interview uh, my friend Mary Ellen and we talk about her life in France, um, coming to the States, and uh, what she's doing now with education. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, it was a gorgeous day when we um, did the interview, so we actually sat outside on the porch in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So you may hear some birds, conversations, or trucks. Uh, I've tried to filter stuff out the best I can, but I apologize for that. Um, also, my wife Michelle was uh, there with us, and she asks a couple questions uh, through the episode. So hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Mary Ellen. Welcome to Warren She's Podcast. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. To to start off, would you mind telling me what what does the word home mean to you, and where are some of the places or place that you would consider to be to be home? Uh, home has to be any place that I've lived for more than a year or two. I have to say, mm-hmm. um, I, I've lived a lot of places uh, for less than a year or two, and I definitely would not consider those places home. Yeah. Um, I was born in Marseille, France, so that tends to be my childhood home, if mm-hmm. I think about it. Um, and then I also lived in Toulouse, France, for an extensive period of time, and I would say that that would also be another home. Yeah. And then I went to college on Lookout Mountain, and um, that's also home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're working on Roswell being home, too, but yeah. <laughs> it's a process. Yeah. Yeah, so you so you were born in in Marseille, France. Yes. Um what uh yeah, how how did you how did you end up over there and what uh what was that like growing up as a kid in in Marseille? Yeah, so my parents are missionaries. Um my dad's a church planner and so we we've lived there as long as I can remember personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my parents have been on the field for 35 years wow. this year. So uh, they consider themselves to be more French than American at this <laughs> point, which I think is really funny considering their accents. Yeah. However, I would personally consider Marseille to be home. And I, I don't think I would think that they are French personally, but <laughs> mm. you said your your parents you wouldn't consider them to be French, right? My parents uh, have lived in France for thirty five years, so yeah. they are also TCKs on there and third culture kids. Mm. So they have lived in France longer than they have anywhere else. So uh, they're t- calling themselves French, and then I'm over here trying to call myself French. And <laughs> It's yeah. just really humorous. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. So for those that may not be familiar, you you mentioned uh, TCK. Yes. Uh, what 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 is that? What does that mean to you? So TCKs are third culture kids. So it's when um, a family has parents that come from a culture different than where the child is growing up. So mm-hmm. for example, my parents are um, Americans in all technicality of the term, and then. <laughs> We grew up in France, me and my siblings. We grew up in France. So we had a mixture of the two cultures in our home. Hmm. So that makes a third culture, which is different than what anybody else would experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, within this third, third culture, um, that you, you grew up experiencing, can you tell me a little bit about the, the French culture and how you Mm -hmm. experienced that? And then perhaps how that was blended in, in your home culture. Right. So the, the French consider themselves to be a, a communitarian 
culture okay. where they base it more on um, community. So mm. the whole um, aspect of growing up, every child is part of the community and basically any adult can speak into their lives yeah. as a, a parent, basically. Hmm. So, um, and then the Americans, I think, would consider themselves more individualistic. Um, the family unit being its own unit all by itself. Yeah. Um, the parents that are the parents of those children are the only ones that can speak as parents type of thing. So, at least that's what I've experienced from my side of the world. But, yeah. um yeah, so I grew up with um, that family around me of uh, different missionaries that were all speaking into my life. And then mm. also like church members that were all speaking into my yeah. life. And uh, even like my friends from school, their parents were speaking into my life without any consultation of anybody else. <laughs> so um, that community was very uh, tight knit and um, definitely formed me to who I become who I am. So, yeah, it's a. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You talked about all these people speaking into your life. Mm -hmm. What, how, how did you experience people speaking into your life generally? What were some of the positives of that and mm -hmm. maybe some of the negatives of that? And yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. Did you say communitarian? Yeah. Yeah, communitarian life. Yeah, so um, it, it really varies from like, like how to interact with people, how to... Um, approach situations of friendships or mm. even how to approach school as a yeah. concept. Like, um, my, my childhood was always, you dress your best for school. You <laughs> bring your best face to school. Like you yeah. give it your best and then you come home and you can, you can relax. But, um, everything about it was, you know, these parents, these parents are all talking to you about, um, bringing your best foot forward. Yeah. Um, and then, so I approached that um, coming from like this third view where, um, for lack of a better word, like they, they were helping me, they were guiding me along the way. Hmm. So, yeah. so, so you kind of grown up, you really felt like you had this force, like this community of mm -hmm. people that yes. were helping you and guiding you and pushing you forward. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you talked about going into school and yeah. putting forward, uh, your best foot mm -hmm. every day. Um, what was, what, what school did you go to and, and what was, what was that kind of like? Yeah. So I grew up going to French public schools. Mm -hmm. Um, the public school system is very rigorous and <laughs> doesn't leave much room for error at all mm -hmm. and, or individualism really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the French like to say that they're a molding culture. So, um, when you go through the system, uh, they, help you become, you know, the best citizen possible type yeah. of thing, uh, which is really humorous considering the French uh, socialist perspective. But we're not going to go into that. That's a conversation for a different day. Okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so my my uh, approach to school was, uh, you know, fight the mold. Fight the mold. <laughs> that, okay. That's how yeah. I saw it. I was like, I, I did not like um, having to fit into the mold. And because, I mean, I didn't. I didn't have the same equipment that all the other French kids had in the perspective of like culture or mm. linguistic abilities. Um, yeah. A lot of it was fed from parents and right. my parents were not French. And so they didn't have the tools to give me, you know, the, the French mentality, the French philosophy of life. Like yeah. they didn't have that. 
So they gave me uh, the Christian philosophy instead, and yeah. they gave me the American approach a lot mm. of the time, and yeah. um, they just wanted me to be me. Yeah, which I really appreciate them for. Mm. So, yeah, now that's interesting talking about the, this molding culture mm-hmm. um, in the French. Would you um, would you describe the French as have like? having a lot of pride in their kind of their cultural identity and could you talk maybe a little bit about that absolutely (laughs) the french are very prideful of their culture and their identity um so much so that you know when you get to high school and you're in your like uh 11th grade or 12th grade like they put you in philosophy classes and they say that you know no good french person can go through life without you know, the basics of philosophy, you know, Hmm. (laughs) and they're just very prideful of that sense of um, history and culture that's like accumulated throughout the years. And, you know, they're they're the best culture in the world, if you ask them. So, (laughs) but uh, I think the Americans listening would uh, have something else to say about that. Um, (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, from your kind of uh, you know, third blended culture between your American parents and, and growing up in France. What would you say? Um, what, what is it? What does it mean to to be French? I guess it's a loaded or, question. Or, or how, <laughs> maybe how would the French describe that? And then and then to you, what, what yeah. does that mean to you? I guess. What does it mean to be French? Um, I think that pride comes back in. You know, mm. the sense of. Uh, we're very proud of the culture and very proud of the historical uh, significance of the country and yeah. the world. Um, I think that comes into play a lot. Um, I think there's also a sense of, you know, not to get a little bit more uh, controversial, but, you know, soccer teams are, yeah. are really important okay. yeah. to the French. <laughs> um uh, a lot of things like that, you know, the yeah. things that um, really get people riled up. Uh, mm. Even in America, you know, you have that sense of like football culture. Like, yeah. it's very similar in France with soccer. Interesting. Um, okay. They might get a little bit more violent than the Americans. I'm okay. not gonna lie. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The sense of pride is really important, and then um, I I think like it goes into like food. It goes into yeah. how you live your day to day life, how you move about the world. Like all of those like are ingrained in the French culture, like, such as the fact that I'm currently drinking tea, um, (laughs) is a very French thing to drink tisane, like the herbal tea. And then, um, you know, like, how do you get about, you walk places, like Hmm. you try to, um, be environmentally conscious. Like these are very French aspects, um, of life and the, the places like, um, the French, their, their philosophy, I'm going to go back to it, is, yeah. is very much like, it's um, very, for lack of a de- better word, slightly depressing. It's, it's okay. you, are, hmm. you are just a piece of the world. You yeah. are not the world. And hmm. so um, going back to like how my parents raised me, it was very much like, yeah, you can be a piece of the world. Yeah. But also you're, you're a Christian, and so you have to believe that you're taking care of the world yeah. as well. Um and that you're furthering the kingdom of God. So, yeah. 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 No, that's awesome. Yeah, you met, you mentioned a little bit earlier about yeah, taking pride in French food. And mm-hmm. some yep. some people may be familiar and others may not. But, uh, yeah, could you tell me a little bit about the food that you ate growing up? And what, what were some maybe some of your favorite meals or uh, desserts? Yeah. 
Um, the French are very proud of their food for sure. Um, <laughs> yes, that is definitely a thing. Um, yeah. But what I learned was that the French on a day-to-day basis are actually very simplistic in the way that they mm. approach um, life. Yeah. And so if you think about it, like um, French people usually drink you know, a cup of coffee in the morning with their cigarette usually, to be completely <laughs> honest. Um, and they won't have much of a breakfast on yeah. their day-to-day life. I know that Americans tend to associate pastries and bread with the French culture. Yeah. Um, most people skip breakfast in France. Okay. Um, sometimes they'll have, you know, a, a tartine is what we called it. Yeah. It was like a piece of baguette with some jam on it. Okay. Very simplistic. Yeah. Um, but... They, they had this idea that, like, you ate breakfast like a pauper, you had lunch like a prince, and then you had dinner like a king, you know? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> a little upside-down world. But mm-hmm. <laughs> lunch would be usually very, very simple, like yeah. um, a soup. Mm-hmm. And then you get to dinner, and then you have um, maybe a little bit more, but it mm-hmm. wouldn't be a whole lot either. It gotcha. would usually be, like, a soup and then maybe, like, a protein on the side. Mm-hmm. But it was also very simple. Um, and I think... When people think of French people, they think of, like, these decadent meals that you would right, have at a yeah. restaurant. Um, the French only pull out the decadence when people are coming. Right. So right. <laughs> you really only have the decadence if, like, there's a holiday coming up or yeah. you're having a party at the house. Like, and that's when you'll have, like, the 10-course meal mm-hmm. and the cheese plate and yeah. the dessert plate yeah. and all the things. But um, we we didn't have that in, in the day-to-day life. Gotcha. So... I think it's the the concept of saving up so that you can put your best foot forward at the mm. end. So yeah, yeah, that that putting your best forward theme, yeah, kind of coming it comes back. back yeah, yeah, yeah. So coming back mm. to, to a little bit maybe to, to your story, mm-hmm. going to a French public high school. Did you do that yeah. all through middle school and, and high school or? Right. So um, I was in the French public school system all through high school. So. Mm. Um, until 12th grade, um, my high school experience was a little bit abnormal, I would say for a French person. Um, my school was what we'd call in America, a magnet school. Um, and so they had multilingual options. Hmm. Um, and my parents really wanted me to have an English, um, background at least a little bit so that I had the option to go to the U S for college if I wanted to. Hmm. So they put me into a um, bilingual high school program that would be, um, British and French combined. So I took two courses, um, basically swapped out two courses. Um, so instead of doing French lit, I did British lit. Mm -hmm. And then instead of doing, um, French history and geography, I did it from a British perspective in English. Yeah. So, it definitely gave me another <laughs> cultural background to <laughs> yeah. take into perspective. Yeah. And it also kind of built up my American culture a little mm. bit because a lot of the kids that were in those British classes were British. Right. And I was not. Yeah. I was the American in the group. And gotcha. so I got singled out quite a bit and, you know, th- I had to defend myself <laughs> at yeah. some point. And that pride comes in. Like every culture has their pride. Yeah. And when you put a bunch of high schoolers in a room that are all from different cultures, it comes out a little bit more. <laughs> gotcha. That cultural pride yeah. and, and identity. That identity. And so how, how did you kind of deal with that? Where, where, and I, I mean, I know, again, this is a loaded question with, you know, yeah. cultural identity, but I mean, yeah, growing up with American parents and mm-hmm. then in French and then 
going to this school where there were, you know, British kids and yeah. kids from all over. How did you kind of deal with that strong sense of cultural identity? And There were a lot of clashes, for yeah. sure. And you don't really process a whole bunch in the moment. But as you go on, you think, oh, wow, like, I, I had this opportunity of being in a room full of people from different places in the world. Yeah. And none of us really knew what we were talking about when it came to <laughs> cultural identity, I would say. Yeah. We were just speaking from our own personal experiences, and I think that goes towards, like, the immaturity of the, the age. Yeah. Um, but I experienced it as a very, like, well, I am who I am. Take it or leave it. And then yeah. I kind of, like, you know, brushed off the rest. And gotcha. it, it just kind of rolled off my shoulder. But um, a lot of other people were not taking that as an answer. So From, from you. From me. So... Okay. We, yeah. you know, you don't make friends for everybody. Gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah. So did people, yeah. did kids not like that, that idea that you're just kind of like, I'm me outside of. Right. I, yeah. I detached myself from the country that I was representing. So gotcha. I, I, and what, what country did you, did they feel like you were representing? They thought I was representing America gotcha. and okay. not to go political on you. It yeah. was during the first Trump election. Okay. So gotcha. yep. <laughs> I had to detach myself just a smidge. Yep. Otherwise fair enough, fair enough. it would have gotten a little chaotic. <laughs> gotcha. And so people really wanted you to identify you as the American and you right. kind of had to. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks yeah. for, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, Michelle. Michelle has a question. Is there something you wanted to ask? Um, I don't know. This is sort of going back to the very beginning. But you mentioned like you consider any place that you lived over two years home. Does that mean like you have multiple homes in your in your mind? Because a lot of people they try and narrow it down to one thing, one place. So mm-hmm. would you say you have like a Yeah. Yes, I would. Yeah, (laughs) I I can't I can't seem to like leave one behind. I I can't differentiate that as much for me. Like every every city that I left a major part of my childhood in was home. Hmm. Um, Marseille is still home. I go back and I feel like an outsider, but I, I think it definitely is like still like a big piece of my childhood. And then, um going back to Toulouse my parents are still living in Toulouse and for me like that's that's home as well because I left a big part of my high school years there and and my parents are still there so yeah yeah definitely still home for sure yeah no that no that's interesting saying going back to Marseille was hard because Mm -hmm. I I haven't been back to Azerbaijan in in about four years Mm -hmm. and uh you know michelle hasn't been there yet and we're going this uh december yeah um for for new year's and so i'm 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 a little nervous about going back for the first time and not feeling like home so i was wondering if if, could you talk a little bit about going back um and kind of what what that was like and how long you spent away and yeah um i haven't been back to marseille since uh let's see it's been 2019. So four years, about the same. Yeah. Um, and for me, like the buildings, the places, the monuments were all the same, but the people Mm -hmm. that I had in those buildings, like I had known in those buildings and places, they were all gone. They'd all moved on. And so it's one of those moments where you're like thinking about it and 
you're seeing the places and you're reliving the memories in the moment, but then it's not the same. The people aren't because there. The people aren't there. The, the memories are there, but like you're all by yourself reliving the memories. Nobody else is there to relive them with you. Gotcha. So yeah. it, it's definitely nostalgic, but mm-hmm. it's it's healing in, yeah. in a way because mm-hmm. you, you do get to process it alone. And, yeah. and in that moment, it's it's helpful to yeah. like be able to process it. No. But yeah, yeah, that was my experience of going back to Marseille, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does feel like ages ago. Yeah. But like I still have pictures that I go back to and then I have <laughs> hanging places and I'm like, oh, wow, like. I remember that. It yeah. was a long time ago, but yeah, no, th- yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you talked about yeah going through through high school and just kind of that that clash with cultural mm-hmm. identity, um, and so then yeah, so how did you end up deciding about college and then coming back to the states um, right. for school and then maybe a little bit about that transition from France to the U.S. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of people say coming back to the states. And I, yeah. for me, it's moving to the States. Yeah. I, I just, I no, never lived yeah. here. I never lived here. Right. So for me, yeah. it was just, it was one of those moments where I was deciding to go back to my parents' roots right? to discover a little bit more about myself Yeah. and figure out who I was mm-hmm. and why I was that way. Yeah. Um, I didn't mention this before, but like my mom uh, is half Australian, half New Zealander, okay. was born in Canada and grew up on the Eastern seaboard. Wow. So okay. yeah. <laughs> my mom doesn't really have any roots per se yeah. in the U.S., but wow. my dad, um, he was also a TCK, I mentioned that, but okay. he he was born in Nashville, but then lived in Korea for eight or nine years and oh, then wow. moved back to the States. Oh, my gosh. Um, so my, my parents <laughs> are a little bit uh, disoriented <laughs> in the no, same way that I am. Sure. <laughs> so. Um, but my dad is one of six and he has a bunch of siblings that have all put down roots in the U S and have all had kids and their kids have had kids. And so it's been good for me to be in the U S and get to know all these cousins and like, why, why am I the way I am? Because so many of them are so similar to me Hmm. and it's really nice to be able to have people like you. Yeah. 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 Just family. For sure. Family. And like, I didn't. Like I had siblings growing up, but I never had, um, never had like um, extended family, right? Per, per se. So I had um, my co like my parents' coworkers' kids. Mm-hmm. They were basically family, right? Right. But you know, they're not they're not exactly like you. Yeah. They're not your family. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, just it is, it's yeah. nice to be able to do that. Now you asked about the transition to the U.S. and how that yeah. was. How did I pick, first of all, to come to the U.S.? Right. Um, that concept of breaking the mold that I was talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the French were getting a little bit tired of me trying to break the mold. Hmm. And so I wasn't doing very well in school. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I was trying to look for a place that that gave a little bit more room for individuality yeah. and and approaching school from a different perspective and giving mm-hmm. a little bit more space for uh, different learning methods. Yeah. And the U S was providing that opportunity. And so I started looking at schools there and then, um, I, I grew up with this Christian background. I mm-hmm. wanted to, uh, learn about that from a more academic side. And yeah. so, um, I chose covenant college that way mm-hmm. and that's how I landed there. Yeah. So, okay. so you, so you landed yeah. there and, um, had you, had you been to the U S 
previous to that? Um, yeah, so my parents, being missionaries, had to come back every few years right. for their furlough, uh, visiting churches and all gotcha. that good stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah that so, was my only experience of going right. to the U.S. Yeah, so this is your first time here, long term. Yeah. Um, and what did you come to study at Covenant? And, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, so I came to study uh, elementary education. Okay. Um, purely off of my experience teaching Sunday school in a small church, um, I thought, man, I was actually pretty good at that. And then decided that education was the route. Um, of course my, my first few years taking the introduction classes to the major really confirmed that calling for me and I was able to, uh, get my degree in 2021. So that was really awesome. Yeah. And it started my, my career off. Yeah. So no, that's great. Um, yeah. And so coming back to the States and just, again, kind of this, this cultural identity clash that you had in high mm-hmm. school. Um, and then you even just shared about your parents and just them having uh, just yeah. n- not really roots and not really knowing <laughs> who they are and then ending up in yep. France and with you. Um, just how did how did that your identity and cultural identity? Um, yeah. How did that change or solidify? Or yeah. How did that come to be when you when you came to the U.S.? um, for, for college? Yeah. So, um, you know, college is one of those times when you have a lot of small talk with people, (laughs) you meet a lot of different people and the small talk is very intense, especially in the South. Yeah. Um, our, our Southern friends definitely know how to talk about the weather and, uh, their first question is usually where is home? Yeah. And as a college student, I had not processed at all what that definition was, what it meant to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of that, um, a lot of that, um, small talk ended in dead ends usually of, Oh yeah, I grew up in France. And then people are like, what? Um, (laughs) a lot of, uh, shock, shocked expressions and people not knowing what to do with that. And I didn't know what to do with that. So, um, it was really hard to make friends. Hmm. Um, with with Americans here because I didn't have any way of of finding common ground. Yeah, there wasn't much there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I I found a community at Covenant College that was international, and um, that's where I met Zachary. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> and Michelle was on my hall as well, and um, I I met this international community that was just awesome, and they all had so many questions, and it was able. I was able to like find this common ground of like not knowing where home was or yeah. uh, not knowing uh, your extended family. Right. A lot of people <laughs> in America think that's really strange. Um, yeah. yep. <laughs> it is really strange to yeah. be honest. Um, yeah. But it, it's really nice to have people who understand that and have that commonality mm. and cause then you can have a relationship and keep going from there. You don't have to linger in it if you don't want to, you can just keep going. Yeah. And the conversation flows naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that was a process for sure. Finding yeah. that group of people that I was most comfortable with and, and being able to grow from there was a process. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, you know, it kind of answered my next question about how do yeah. you how did, how did you find community and yeah. create community? But really finding an identity in this community of international people mm-hmm. um, and just kind of this this sense of home and just really finding that. Yeah. That with them. Um, for sure. Yeah. No, that that's that's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, oh, Michelle has a question again, saving well, me. <laughs> well, I was wondering if you could ask, I don't know if you're about to do it, but I would love if Marilyn just talked about the international schooling stuff. Like I'm really excited. To do that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah. So with g- growing up, you know, going to international mm-hmm. school yep. and and then coming here and yep. ending up in education. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about education <laughs> <laughs> and what you're passionate about. Right. So um, I went to college for elementary education and. When I finished out my process of going to college, I realized that my real passion was international students Hmm. and international education in general. And um, it doesn't necessarily have to be an international school. It just has to be an international context. Um, And so that's how I ended up at the school that I'm currently teaching at. It's called the International Charter School of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And it's a school that uh, provides free linguistic immersion to students from anywhere in Georgia. Okay. And um, that that really fostered that sense of, uh, lingu- like, the importance of linguistics in yeah. our society. Mm-hmm. And students who come from international contexts don't always understand how important their languages are to the world. Yeah. And... A lot of them are also really confused because they think that they're weird or abnormal. Mm-hmm. Um, but our world has become so much more, um, so much more interconnected and globally sound that yeah. linguistics is normal. Knowing multiple languages is the norm in every other country. <laughs> <laughs> America yeah. is the exception, I think, in the sense that most countries teach multiple languages, and those people become multilingual very quickly. Yeah. Um, I know the French teach two languages Mm -hmm. in middle school and high school. Yeah. Other than French. Yeah. (laughs) So they have to start learning English in sixth grade Mm -hmm. and they have to keep taking English until they graduate high school. Yeah. And then they also put in another language starting in seventh grade Mm -hmm. and they have to learn that language until they graduate high school. And so most people graduate knowing three languages fluently. And um, for me, that's just that's crazy because it gives this ability to go out in the world and interact with so many more people. Yeah. And so anyway, so that (laughs) brings me to like how I ended up where I am. Um, I actually I actually had a quick question before you go into that. You mentioned um, linguistic immersion and the school offering. Can you uh, just just real quickly, could you tell tell us what that is? uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the school that I'm at does a 80 20 up mm-hmm. from like so 80 percent in the in english and then no 80 percent in the language and then 20 percent in english okay up from kindergarten until second grade and then they do third grade until eighth grade 50 50 so where they do 50 percent in okay. english yeah 50 percent in the language and our school offers four different languages mm-hmm. so it has uh french spanish german and mandarin Hmm. And the students basically, well, not really the students because yeah. they're five years old when they get to the school usually. <laughs> yeah. But the parents usually pick one language track that their student is going to stick with from okay. ki- kindergarten until eighth grade. Yeah. And when they graduate in eighth grade, they come out with a dual lingual c- certificate. Okay. It's really yeah. hard to come out with. <laughs> dual lingual certificate. Yeah. So um, these students are getting a free multilingual education. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And so, yeah, now, yeah. now you were talking about, yeah, how you, how you ended up there. Yeah. So when I started <laughs> off at Covenant, I got to do a lot of internships, mm-hmm. um, going from different schools around Chattanooga and getting to experience different ways of teaching. 
And so from like Christian schools to public systems to rural system, like public systems. And what I realized was my passion was uh, being able to interact with these students that think they're strange because Mm -hmm. they're in this system that is very monolingual and very like monocultural. Yeah. And so it's nice to be able to provide my insight from growing up to these students and being able to help them understand that they're not alone right. in the system yeah. and that they have something very valuable by having multiple cultures. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that's where I ended up, how I ended up the way that I am. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. And I, I, I think um, that, it, that is really, yeah, that's really cool that you have that passion for these kids in the school system that yeah. just are finding it strange. And, and I, and I would like if, if, if you could describe a little bit the American education system and just kind of you talked about being monolingual, monocultural and then the French education system. And you kind of mentioned the molding culture. Yeah. yeah. So in the French education system, you talked about the molding cult- culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was just wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about that and kind of what you've seen here in the U.S. compared to that. Yeah. So growing up, I had a very, very uh, strict education system that Mm. wanted us to be a certain way. Um, I think the reason why the French do this is because France is part of the European Union and the European Union is the size of the U.S. if you think about it. And it's a bunch of different countries with a bunch of different cultures and languages. And in order for the union to function, all all the countries need to make an effort to learn other languages to be able to interact and travel Mm. and uh, work together Mm -hmm. towards being a better system. Yeah. And the reality is like the union does very much work like the States in the U S where it's all the countries are working together to, to improve each other. Yeah. So um, I think that's where the multilingual molding system, so to speak came from in France what I've experienced in the U.S. is is very limited, I will say. But mm. um, what I what I've noticed from the Chattanooga area is um, that it's very uh, simple, yeah, so to speak. So um, the schools are more focused on the social economic development, which I I agree is very important. Yeah, but they're more focused on that than they are focused on the side of. Um, helping these students become globally minded. So they're mm. very, they're very small um, city. So they're trying to help yeah, the students be more about... city minded versus globally minded. Gotcha. So, okay. Yeah. You're talking about that social, socioeconomic mm-hmm. development. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? With yeah. The education so system? Um, a lot of the schools that I worked in were title one. So yeah. the, those are the schools that have, more than uh, 50% of their students are receiving uh, economic help. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those students were, were struggling economically. Yeah. And so because of that, the school is trying to help the families become more economically stable. Right. Which is very important. Yeah. But um, for me, what I, what I see is that these students are not receiving the emotional development and the linguistic development to be able to go out into the world. Yeah. We're developing them more to become students that may end up just staying in the city that they grew up in. Yeah. Instead of 
growing them up to become students that can go other places. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the U.S. thinks that way of, oh, they just need English to get by in in the U.S. Yeah. So why would they need to learn another language? Well, they do learn Spanish, I think, in, in high school. But it takes more than two or three years of one language to yeah. become fluent enough to be able to use it in a job. Yeah. So what I've noticed is that these students are not thinking about going abroad. They're thinking about staying where they know mm. home is. And so yeah. from a person who grew up and left their country, the yeah. home country and, yeah. and moved elsewhere because of my linguistic ability, yeah. I, I wish that the education system put more emphasis on language so that the students yeah. felt like they could go elsewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. So for, for you in, in your life, you felt that like language and linguistics has been really empowering for you. Absolutely. And so you yeah. have this desire for, for kids and, and this education system to, to let for you, language is, is a symbol of kind of the ability to, to move, to travel and, and to travel yeah. and to, yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. What, so you're talking about in, in the school that you're at now, these mm -hmm. kids have this 80, 20 program. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, a very big question and right. you can break it down, but yeah, uh, teaching, teaching a different language. Um, you know, for, for me growing up in Azerbaijan, the way I learned the language was I was just thrown in there. Mm -hmm. And then eventually after like yeah. a year, year, you know, year and a half, I picked up some stuff and was able to make it work. Um, and you know, everyone learns different languages, um, um, differently, but I mean, it, you know, if you were to teach a different language, how, how would you kind of like to see this ling linguist um, or more ling language focused education? How would you like to see that played out? Right. If in, in an ideal world, if you had all the money and all the time in the world. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I definitely believe in the throw it in the in the pool and see if it swims type okay. concept. I, I definitely believe in that. Yeah. Because um, that's how I grew up. I mean, my yeah. mom put me in preschool at the age of three. Mm -hmm. I didn't speak a word of French. Um, and I was three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to communicate with this teacher and 25 other kids about, you know, simple needs like going to the bathroom or mm -hmm. being hungry or yeah. wanting to take a nap and things like that. Like, I mean... I, I think that being thrown in definitely will help you learn faster Yeah. because of those basic needs. Right. Um, from what I've noticed from the school that I'm at, um, this 80, 20 system works. Yeah. Um, the, the kids are receiving two languages and usually the English language is the one that they speak at home. So it's their mother tongue. Hmm. And then they're receiving this foreign language from their teacher and that's going to become their foreign tongue and it's going to, it's going to help them develop faster and faster. And, um, I don't teach kindergarten or any of the lower grades. I teach fourth grade. So yeah. I, and I don't even teach language, which yeah. I think is really humorous too, <laughs> but that's, again, that's another story it's something that you're passionate about. <laughs> it is something I'm passionate about. And, yeah. um, the reason why I, I see it working is like these kids are having to communicate basic needs to their teachers yeah. And they have to find the words because yeah. the teacher won't break the language barrier. Mm. It's literally her job not to break the language. Yeah. And so they have to 
to find words one way yeah. or another, whether it's like changing an English word to make it sound slightly more Spanish or yeah. changing it to sound slightly more French. Sometimes it works. <laughs> Sometimes it's the actual word. Right, right. <laughs> so the kids are learning. Yeah. Um, and the teacher always like corrects them so that they have the right word afterwards. But after eight years of being thrown in the pool, yeah, you're going to learn how to swim. Right. And so it's just really cool. And also like they're learning about pretty deep like knowledge. Like yeah. the language teacher is actually supposed to be teaching social studies and mm. science in yeah. the language. And so these kids are receiving, you know, lectures about the American Revolution in Mandarin and they're <laughs> learning, awesome. you know, yeah. they actually know what's going on because they're they're passionate about the information. Yeah. And they're passionate about the language. And so they, they actually grow that way. Yeah. Um, it definitely is not a system that's made for every kid. And yeah. I I will admit that. Yeah. Not every kid is made to learn multiple languages yeah and that's okay yeah um if if a student has uh learning difficulties uh a learning disability of any sort it's gonna make learning a language 10 times harder right because they're already struggling to learn in that that mother tongue yeah and so i definitely agree that like it's not made for everyone Hmm. but money shouldn't be the barrier yeah And that's what I appreciate so much about our school is that it's a state chartered school. So it's paid for by the state and anybody that can get to the school on time (laughs) can be part of the school. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. So I, I've definitely learned to grow and learn from the school that I'm at. And I've definitely had a dream to like start my own school eventually one day. Okay. Um, It seems very far away (laughs) because I'm only 23, (laughs) actually 24, sorry. (laughs) But um, it does seem like a faraway dream. But if I had all the money and all the time, (laughs) um, I would probably go back to France Hmm. and start a multilingual English-French immersion school with other languages involved as well. And I think that would be really cool. to have that opportunity. I'd probably make it from a Christian perspective as well. Yeah. Um, I don't currently have strong opinions about Christian education. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> I used to, but I didn't, I don't anymore. <laughs> I've evolved. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. No, that, that's awesome. And you just, I just love how you paint, paint this picture of like language being a tool mm-hmm. of, of, of freedom where, where people can really explore and, and it opens up doors, yeah. um, which I, I totally agree yeah. with that. And, and I was wondering, I mean, in, in your own life, I mean, you've talked about, you know, yeah. knowing English allowed you to come back here for school, but it, is there any other ways in which language you've seen language kind of open doors and, um, yeah, give you this yeah. freedom that you talk about? So the, the freedom I've actually, I've experienced it myself as, as a grown up, you know, as soon as I got my own money, I started yeah. <laughs> traveling as much as I could. Yeah. And it's helped me understand that I can cross cultures and yeah. I can cross, you know, I, I can understand other people thanks to knowing their language and being able to communicate with them has helped me. So I, I've traveled extensively. Um, yeah. For the past three summers, I've mm-hmm. gone to Europe. I've traveled across nine different countries there yeah. in a summer. 
the the pros and advantages of being a teacher, I will say, yeah, are yes. that you get so many months off, <laughs> yes, um, every summer, and so I've I've enjoyed going to other cultures and getting to know them. Yeah. I've also gotten the chance to travel the west coast of the U.S. Yeah. and get to experience um, a different part of the world. Um, <laughs> To what I've known, right. I've only known the eastern seaboard of the U.S., yeah. so traveling the West Coast uh, was definitely eye-opening yeah. and getting to know that there are other cultures as well. Um, the south of the U.S. is so, um, like, I should say the southwest of the U.S. Yeah. is so ingrained with Hispanic culture yeah. that it was very, very cool to see how um, immersed the southwest has become. Yeah. Um, I will also say, like, I, I keep going back to my traveling in Europe because yeah, like yeah. crossing so many borders, like I, I don't speak German or Austrian. Right. And I had a wonderful time in Austria. Um, yeah. But that was not because of my English. It was actually because of my French. Yeah. Um, came across a lot of people who spoke French. That's um, awesome. I also traveled to the Dominican Republic recently mm-hmm. and um, came across like a small village full of French people and it was really strange, but yeah. it was also really cool to like awesome. get to know all these expatriates that, yeah. that have grown to love a different country and have stayed there over their home place and yeah. France. And it just goes to show that like, you don't have to stay where you are. Yeah. If you're not content with it, like there's so much more out there hmm. to go see and explore. Yeah. And, um, Maybe you'll find your joy somewhere else. Yeah. Maybe it won't be in a language you know. <laughs> Go learn that language. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I just, I, I love, I love the way that you talk about, talk about language. And I mean, I think, you know, from my own experience with, with speaking, speaking a language that is native to some people, mm-hmm. um, it, and I don't know if it's similar in France, but if, you as a as a foreigner speak this language that's native to someone else it it opens so so many more doors and Absolutely. and people feel welcome and, and there is something special about someone that you know you may not expect to speak mm-hmm. your native tongue and then them being able to to do that and it's almost like a picture of 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 love and mm-hmm. and acceptance towards them of like you know i care yeah and and this language mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's a bond that's that's created and i just think that's that's really awesome yeah i have a funny illustration for that actually yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so marseille is a port city okay and one of my favorite pastimes in middle school was to go to the port and sit and enjoy a cup of coffee mm. um, while people watching yeah. i love doing that yeah. it's so fun <laughs> because the port is actually a very touristy place okay and um, it happened to be the year where Marseille had won, um, like, the best city in Europe or something like that. Yeah. And a very cheesy type of thing. But um, we had a lot of tourists that year. Okay. So I'm sitting yeah. at the port, and I'm watching these tourists, like, walk around. And you you know who the tourists are. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. you know, they're the ones that are speaking the loudest. They're the ones that are holding the maps upside down. They're the right. ones that are, you know, asking five bajillion people questions about where to go, what to do. Yep. And, um, I happened to see, um, this couple go up to a French person and they asked him in English, you know, do you happen to know where the cathedral is? Mm-hmm. And the lady goes and walks away. Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, okay, um, <laughs> hopefully they find someone. Yeah. And then you see a different like couple walk up to a different person yeah. and 
in the most broken French possible. Uh-huh. They ask her, you know, do you happen to know where the cathedral is? And, <laughs> and this lady laughs at them uh-huh. so hard. <laughs> she laughs and then she stops and then she switches to English and answers them in perfect English where it is. And it's just like, it's one of those moments where you realize if you just put a little bit of effort in, just a little bit, it'll become like an open door to be able to communicate with people. Like, you don't even have to like speak the language (laughs) very well. Right. Just putting in a little bit of effort makes the other person want to put in effort. Yeah. And it's that exchange of time and um, effort that helps them become, you know, a communication situation, like where they can actually talk and have a conversation. And yeah, um, it just shows the, like the willingness to try. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's the same, like when I was traveling in Austria, like, you know, mm-hmm. you learn, you know, the basic words, right. hello, <laughs> goodbye, thank you. Where are the bathrooms? Yep. Yep. You know, the basic words, <laughs> the basic words. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, if you go into a bakery and you just try and say hello, like they're going to identify you as a foreigner right. and, yeah. and put in the effort to help yeah. you. But if you go in and you say hello, yeah. it's like in your most like Southern accent uh, yeah. possible or, or a different accent that you might have, like. They're not going to try. They're going to yeah. get upset. They might yeah. They might even, like, huff at you and walk away, you know? Mm, and right. it's just that, that effort that opens up conversations and opportunities. No. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Well, Marianne, I want to say thanks Thanks for being on the podcast and sharing sure. some of your experiences. Um, Happy to. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you would like to say as a final word or to anyone to, to close us out? If you have the opportunity to travel, do it. Do it. Pick anywhere in the world if that's what it takes. <laughs> Just do it. It's worth it a hundred times over. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode with Mary Ellen. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation about France, education, and the United States. Uh, If you want to support this podcast, please go follow it on Instagram and Facebook. Share it with your friends and family. That would be greatly appreciated. Just as a reminder, episodes are released at the end of every month. That being said, I do have some pretty fun stuff planned for the next couple months, so be sure to tune in for that. I hope everyone is staying safe and warm during these winter months, and I'll see you guys next time on the Worn Shoes Podcast.